What's going on, guys? Welcome back. Another episode, Unstoppable RI Wealth. I'm here today with Kyle McCarkle. Kyle has been doing deals in PA for the last eight years. He is another. I've had like 30 plus engineers on this show. He's an engineer, former engineer turned real estate investor. He's in the scale phase. He buys and sells, fix and flips. We have a lot of good conversation about some of the challenges he's had, how he scaled his business, how he created a partnership with his contractor, and they have now 50 properties that they own um, in their company as uh, as rentals. It's a really good episode. Hope you guys enjoy it. I'll catch you guys in the next one. Welcome to Unstoppable Real Estate Investing Wealth. My name is Billy Alvaro, a.k.a. The Unstoppable VA, former billion-dollar mortgage banker, gone bankrupt, turned professional real estate investor where each week you'll learn the tools, strategies, systems, and secrets myself and other highly successful real estate investing entrepreneurs use to start, grow, and scale their businesses, creating massive profits and how you can too. And we'll teach you how to put those profits to work so you no longer have to. Get ready to finally experience financial freedom and generational wealth. Now let's get started. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. Welcome back. Another episode of Unstoppable REI Wealth. I'm your host, the Unstoppable BA, Billy Alvaro, bringing the heat again. It's been a while since I recorded one of these. I've been away in Puerto Rico for the last five weeks, enjoying myself, the time off. Decided to take a little hiatus from doing the old podcast interviews, but I'm back at it, back in action, back in Marlboro, New Jersey, and I'm bringing you today Mr. Kyle McCorkle from Hershey, Pennsylvania. Everybody loves Hershey and knows Hershey, Pennsylvania. Kyle, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on, bro. So um, went through your bio. You have been doing this business now for eight years. That's correct. Predominantly in the Hershey area. That's correct. Yep. And you uh, offline when we were speaking, you were uh, an investor where you were really just focusing on buy and hold for a while and the market change. Now you've, you've been doing uh, wholesale. Let's just go back, Kyle, five minutes. I don't want to go so in-depth on how you got into this, but how did you get started in the real estate investing space? Yeah, sure. So born and raised in Hershey, Pennsylvania, went to Penn State for engineering, graduated from Penn State, and I went into consulting. So I was traveling around and it was very high paced, uh, made some really good money, um, and it was was having a lot of fun. I, unfortunately, it wasn't a lifestyle that I could keep up for, for very long, especially once I got married and started talking about having kids. About uh, five or six years into that, I decided that I needed to start to kind of come up with a exit plan from consulting. Didn't want to go into the traditional nine to five, going in it into an office or a plant or something. So I, I just started buying uh, rental properties. Just so started- did, let, me ask, let me ask you a question. Did you take a course? Like, how did you learn to just start buying rental properties? Like, what was your process for that? So I, I think at first I... I didn't know exactly what, you know, I, I knew I wanted passive income, but I didn't even know like what it was or like how I could get it. And I just started, I guess, yeah, listening to podcasts and reading books. I mean, Rich Dad, Poor Dad was definitely one of those first books. A lot of bigger pockets and yeah, different different podcasts and books. So you just went um, deep in the education side. Yeah, I, I probably spent a good 12 to 18 months getting educated before I bought that first one. And then, and then once I, once I started buying, you know, it just kind of started a, a gigantic, uh, snowball. <laughs> I love, I love stories like that. <laughs> you, know, you, know what's, you know what's crazy, Kyle? I've interviewed 
I've had the show now for a little over two years, and I think I've done well over 100 episodes, and 30% or greater of the guests that I have on are engineers or yeah. are engineers. What? And I've asked this question before. What? Why do you think the engineers are so attracted to real estate <laughs> investing? It's a crazy thing. A lot of engineers turn into real estate investors. Why engineers? So for myself, I was always entrepreneurial. Now, I'm not sure if that has to do with being in engineering or not. Um, right. But I, I think that engineers like being able to, to look at spreadsheets. Yeah. You know, I think we start out by creating a bunch of spreadsheets and and kind of modeling out, okay, well, if I invested XYZ in the stock market and paid this much in taxes, you know, how how long would it take me to save up enough so that I won't have to work? And that math looks, it just looks very... It's extremely attractive, real estate. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it... it when you look at the stock market and, you, and you're like, that's like forever. And then you look at real estate and you're like, I could do this a lot faster, you know? Hell yeah. And then you start to learn about different strategies, you know, where you can, you know, add, add value and pull, pull all your money back out and put that money into the next property. And, and then you're like, okay, well, you know, I could go as fast as I want. Like all I have to do is just find deals. So let me ask you this. So a lot of, a lot of engineers are not sales individuals. They're not a high D on the uh, on the disc and they're not a maverick with the pi do you know what your personality profile is have you done testing i haven't done those formal testing but i would definitely not describe myself as a as a salesperson all right so let's go into this because this is good because there's a lot of people that as i'm speaking as i'm doing these podcasts you know stuff on the internet uh, networking events there's a lot of guys who want to get into this business right but they're not they don't have the natural acumen as a salesperson they're more geared towards operations or spreadsheets or the analytical. So how did you overcome that process of going from more, because you're definitely analytical, you're an engineer, more of an analytical. And I don't know, I, I would take it that you're probably a little bit more introverted. I'm assuming, I don't know you from a hole in the wall, um, but I'm assuming usually those go together. How did you take that personality profile and master the art of selling and connecting with people? to start making this business turn to this real estate uh, business turn into a career and, and an actual business? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. So I would say my style is I like to be myself. I would say I'm borderline introvert versus extrovert. You know, I can swing both ways. Now you got to watch what group you're saying that in front of. <laughs> <laughs> But, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I just try to, I just try to be, be myself. I do find myself presenting a seller with a very analytical way of, of looking at things. Yeah. And that translates well if that seller also looks at things the same way. Okay, if they're, now, if ahead. they're emotional, then I need to change. Yeah. So do you have the ability as you're going through your sales script your sales process to identify the various personality profiles that you're dealing with to try to change it up because uh, to your point if you tried to sell me i'm a high d i'm a you know maverick if you try to come in and give me old data and figures you lost me like i'm just like yo close me <laughs> get to the bottom line what are the benefits so 
when you're going in, if you're going in with your personality profile, like same with me, Kyle, if I go in and I, tr when I was selling like crazy, if I went in with my aggressive New York attitude and I was trying to close and sell people, very easy to connect with a guy who's a type A, but I had to literally change my personality, not my core beliefs, but I had to change my personality to connect with the people right. that I was selling to. When I sold to, when I was buying from engineers, I knew right off the bat, this guy's analytical. I would have to force myself to spreadsheet everything out because I knew that he wanted data to right. know how I was making a decision to come up with that number. So you said something interesting. You present everybody with a lot of data. Do you think that that is holding you back from actually closing more deals? Right. Yeah. You're presenting in one way? I actually, yeah. I think I think that's a great point. And I mean, it's part of the reasons why I'm not doing most of acquisitions right now. <laughs> so uh, I, I actually have a have a, a sales guy. Um, he's also from Jersey. That's why I was asking which which town you're 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 from. So um, but he's he, he's actually doing doing most of it for me right right now. Smart, smart. Yeah. So you're smart enough to realize as an entrepreneur, you need to bring in those personalities who shine in their roles. Correct. Yeah. A lot of guys don't do that. You know, they, they try to be the solopreneur and they they lose a lot of, of the sales because of their personality style. And, you know, natural salespeople, they learn to adapt and they learn to, you know, almost mimic the style of personality that the other person has in order to become, you know, yeah. the ALT, the no like and trust, right? People are going to do business with people they know, like, and trust. And the easiest way to do that is to build that rapport and to almost have common interests. You can't be salesy. Right. You're like, hey, you know, you see the guys fishing, like, oh, you're a fisher. Like, you're not, you're not going to be cheesy like that, but it really needs to be authentic and you really need to connect. But you need to sell them the way that they need to be sold. That's right. the point in this whole this whole talk right here. Yeah. So this this, this guy who is mm -hmm. is is doing most of my closing for me, I have a I have a great story. So we, we were going to look at a property together. I had gotten there first. He was late because he's usually late because he's talking to someone. It was tenant occupied. And so I, I knocked on the door and I, you know, I'm presented, I'm all, all, you know, clean cut and professional. Hello, ma'am. How are you? So it's, it's the tenant, you know, coming in and saying hi, and, but she's this big black lady. Right. And so she goes, okay, okay, come on, come on in. And, you know, feel free to, to look around and everything. So I, I go in and I, I start taking pictures. My partner comes and he knocks on the door and she goes over to answer it. And as soon as she opens the door, he goes, hey, honey, how are you? <laughs> and she goes, oh, hey. <laughs> and they're like hugging each other and laughing and stuff. Yeah. Instant I, report. Instant so, report like this. So I go, did you know her? Was she like one of your tenants or something? He goes, no, I, I just I just met her. <laughs> That's a connector right there, bro. That's right. that's a, definitely a connector. That's a good story. And that's, listen, that's how you need to to be with anybody you're doing business with. I mean, you're not going to do business with somebody that you don't like or you don't trust. And so that whole likability factor is is key to, uh, to do it. But to your point, you overcame that. I'm sure you were good at sales. It's probably just not your forte. You're more of build a business operator, know how to build this thing and take it off and build wealth, I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, I would, you know, I I have described myself multiple times that I'm probably better than average at at, at sales. You know, I can I I've gotten cl deals closed. You know, I've a I've a pretty a pretty decent 
uh, close rate, but I, I definitely acknowledge that I'm not natural at it. Yeah. But you overcame and you probably took courses to, to know exactly what you need to do in order to sell, but it's not your natural acumen. Absolutely. And like, I, I put me into an operational situation. Like over the last couple of years, I had to operate the business and was very good at it, can do it, but it's not my natural ability. And so over time I would start to get bogged down because I want to go out there and build. I don't want to operate. Like operating yeah. to me is, it drives me absolutely insane. Put me in a room and, and put me out there and, and have me build a business and forget it. We're going through the roof. Yeah. So good. So you have, I, I'm sorry we got, went off on a little tangent there, but I thought it was important to have the listeners understand because there's a lot of different personality styles. And so one of the key takeaways is learn sales if you don't have a natural ability to sell, right? Take courses, learn sales. And or if you have the ability to hire somebody the way Kyle did, bring somebody else in who has a natural ability to complement your skill so you guys can take the yeah. company and start scaling it. Yeah. Your company um, today, how many teammates do you have inside the business? So I have like five or six and they're all, you know, virtual and or, you know, part time. Got it. And talk about their roles. What are the, the roles of the people in your business? OK, so let's let's see if it adds up to, to five or six. So I have a marketing manager and she is in charge of you know, keeping the website up to date with pretty pictures. And, you know, she tells me when I need to shoot a video or something. And then she also puts together direct mail. She gets a small bonus, you know, when we, when we get deals. Then I have three VAs in the Philippines. Two of them are cold calling. And uh, one of them is a lead manager. And so she kind of talks to the, to the leads when they, when they first come in as as leads, we we give her kind of a kind of a script to to ask them and certain questions, and then uh, she helps us to kind of filter out the leads and place them in like the correct category within our um, CRM. CRM. Uh, so we have the marketing manager, the cold callers, the lead manager. I, we talked about my uh, acquisitions manager. He's the guy who's on the phone, you know, once they are become warm leads, he gets them on the phone and, you know, really warms them up, really finds out exactly why they, why they want to sell, what they want to sell for, and then usually gets it under contract for, you know, 10 or 20 or 30% below what they, what they actually asked for. So he's a good, that's a good close. Absolutely. (laughs) Is he doing doing all over the phone or is he going face to face? Currently, he is doing all over the phone because he lives in New Jersey now. That's great, man. To get a discount, that's steep when you're doing it over the phone. All right, so so what's the process? If he's over the phone, he's in Jersey, do you have boots on the ground in PA that are going to the house after he locks it up to, you know, look at the property? Yeah, yeah. So it's going to either be, it's going to be me or I, I also have a, he's like a, real estate agent, but he also helps me with dispo sometimes. So, I mean, we just, perfect example. We just got a property under contract last week. He, he never saw it. Seller was asking for 75. He got him down to 68. We sent our dispo guy out with one of our buyers. Who's like an awesome buyer. We did, I don't know, five or six deals with him last, last year. He just looked at it, you know, for five minutes said, yep, I want it. So then we got it under contract with him for 79 the ne- next day. So. so nice little rip. What yeah. What's your average buy price in Pennsylvania? We buying? 
Yeah, so our median va- median home value is about 250k right now, and that's come up a lot, you know, in the last two or three years. Right. Um, I would say, you know, this one that we got under contract for 68, that's probably more in our wheelhouse, especially for wholesaling. Um, if I'm gonna flip it, you know, I might buy it for between 100 and 150, you know, put. Um, you know, put 50 into it and then sell for 250 to 300. Got it. Got it. And this $68,000 one, what, what was it? A three bedroom, two bath? Uh, that was a row home, three bedroom, one bath. What kind of rent could you get on that? It's currently rented for 750 and that's low. Uh, the guy who's buying it, he's probably gonna either raise the rent on the current tenant up to like a thousand or 1200 or just have the, tenant move out and yeah, rent it for 1200 or 1300. I want to switch gears for a second. I want to talk about some of the struggles you had when you were, when you were going from single solopreneur to growing the business, like what were the struggles that you were facing with trying to grow the company? Even now, like what are the, actually let's talk about that with like real time. What struggles are you facing in your business today? Yeah. Uh, With the current, you know, the market where it's at, the people, the marketing, like what's happened with that? Yeah, this is good. We're like digging, digging right into it. Um, yeah. So, uh, my number one focus, uh, and me and my, me and my partner, um, I, it's another partner. He's a contractor, but our, our number one focus is buy and hold multifamily. So if we're not buying, uh, multifamily buildings, then we get really antsy and we have not closed on one in, in about 12 months. So that is my, just number one thing that keeps me up at night. So it's number one, not finding my, my own deals that pencil that w- will cash flow or there's enough room to add to add value for, for, for the last 12 months. Um, the other thing is the deal flow in general. So even on the wholesaling side, the deal flow has really come come down to the to the point where you know it's tough to continue to market the same way that we've been marketing. So I, you know, as a business owner, I'm having to make a lot of tough calls, you know, in, including looking at, okay, do we need to cut back on hours? Do we need to cut back on headcount? Yeah. Do we need to cut back on, you know, direct direct mailing, you know, which is our st- still our, our main source of deals. And then if that happens, then it's like, okay, well then we're, you know, out of business. We're 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 not going to get deals in three to three to six months. So Kyle, I would. I would caution you, right? And, and I'm having this conversation because I know there's a lot of people out there with the way the market's shifting. A lot of people are struggling. Like I know some solopreneurs that are just out and I know some big ass players that are bleeding like crazy right now nationally. One of the things I would caution against, definitely cost cutting. Number one thing you want to go in and cost cut everything that you can to, to eliminate the fat, but do not cut your marketing. If the yeah. marketing is working, I would double down on the marketing. Don't pull back. Those who get afraid when the market starts to get turbulent, the first thing they look at, and I don't know why, they look at, let me cut the marketing because it's usually the biggest expense. If you're going to do anything, look at your marketing. I, I know you said you're doing direct mail, you're doing some telemarketing, whatever other legs you have in your marketing funnel, I would look at those legs and I would say, okay, what is my return on each one of these legs that I'm getting? And anything that's like lower than a three and a half, a, a two and a half, I would work out. And I would double down and know that you're getting three, four, and five times your return. Right. The marketing is where you, you're going to make your money. Like we, 
when the market shifted last May, we put our, our foot on the we took our foot off the accelerator. We didn't put our foot on the brake, kind of assess what the hell was going on. Once we realized because we, we cut back our, our overhead, once we realized our marketing, we have our dashboards dialed in. We literally cut back like 40 percent of the dead marketing. When I say dead, it was still earning, but it wasn't earning the way it should have. We took that right. money, reallocated, redeployed it to other marketing arms inside the business. And over the last couple of months, the company was bringing in $700,000, $800,000, million a month in revenue totally. based on those on those decisions. Still, we made sure we looked at over overhead, our costs, our employees, who's being productive. So just, again, I just want to say it, caution you, don't cut your marketing. Cut the marketing that's not giving you return and then double down the stuff that is. Right. Key thing. You also said on the on the investment side. So what are you doing to look for uh, for these multi use? What size multis are you going after? You going after twos and fours, twelves or greater? Like what does that look like? Yeah. So we've been doing a lot of two, twos and fours. Um, I, I feel like we really have that down. You know, for the last uh, couple of years, have really been trying to target larger. Um, so we actually got a couple fives. I mean, we just offered on a. 35 unit, which would have been a bit of a stretch. Um, uh, I should say it, it'll be a big bit, bit of a stretch from a money standpoint, but I feel like um, operationally we could we could handle it. So, I mean, we have 54 units right now. So, beautiful. Um, yeah, we're set up to manage, you know, dozens of tenants, and uh, well, so we know managed. we know the market, and it's all self managed. I uh, mentioned my my partner. He's a he's a contractor, and so he handles all of the renovations, and then he also hand, handles all of the property management as well. Beautiful, nice. Yeah. So it's a good working relationship you guys have. He's not partners in your fix and flip wholesale business, just the the arm that you guys rent. So what uh, what I do is I have a wholesaling business, and that's where I was talking about. You know, I have a couple of VAs. I have a acquisitions guy, a, a marketing person and stuff. Um, so the wholesaling business is like a separate entity. And then I have my business with my partner, who's the contractor, and we do fix and flips. And then we also do buy and hold. So sometimes the wholesaling business will find deals for the other business. And then sometimes I wholesale them to other people. Smart, man. Smart. I love it. I, I love yeah. the way you guys are doing. So you're this year you said you were doing about 26 deals in 2022. That's correct. And yeah. of those deals, most of them were wholesale and fix and flip. Very little on the rental side. It was like 80% wholesale. So we bought a four unit and a five unit, and then I think we bought we bought th two or three flips. And yeah, the the rest of them were all wholesales. I would I I would honestly rather be buying like half of them, but like like I said, you know, the deals just weren't penciling for myself what are you um what are you doing for financing tell me about how you go about financing your properties yep what's that structure? so what we currently do is we have obviously a bunch of our own cash that got added that that got eaten up really fast and then we uh we have a bunch of lines of credit with banks and we just you know a couple years ago i i worked on just reaching out to a, a bunch of banks and we have about 250k and like lines of credit Smart. which are really good when rates were low um but now those rates have really uh come up um and then the other big one has been private money so you know when i when i get a flip you know i have a 
probably about a half dozen just really solid relationships with individuals. So, I mean, family, friends, uh, just people who uh, make really good money and have and have have the money and they just want to make 10, 11, 12 percent. And so I'll just turn. Yeah. I'll just I'll just call them up. I mean, I mean the 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 last one we are we're buying one. I I think on Friday it's it's gonna close. But I just texted this guy and I said, hey, we're buying it for seventy nine. Can you just wire eighty five just to cover mm. closing costs? And he, I I I think I just sent him the address and I said, this is the price. This is how much you know we're gonna put in our own funds and this is how much we're gonna sell it for. We're gonna sell it in four months or whatever. And he just texted me back and he's like, yeah, sure. Like it was, it was easy. Yeah. That's relationship. And that's where it comes about, man. You, you have to value those relationships like gold totally, and, and just protect them and force them and grow them because private money is the key to scaling your business. If you want to get to the fix and flip side, you need cash. You're not going to have your own cash to do it. When you're doing hundred, 200 deals a year, 300 deals a year, you need liquidity, you yeah. know, bank lines, private lenders, marry the two, you know, fix and flip type banks. You just want to go out there and start those relationships and really keep the, the business running. Because yep. if, if you try to take the money out of the operations, you're only going to be able to do a few dozen deals a year. <laughs> you're exactly. going to get started, you know? Right. And then, and then, you know, deals seem to come in spurts, you know, it's not like, it's not like you can say, oh, well, every month I'm going to flip three properties and, and in January it's going to be three and in February it's going to be three. It's going to be like, zero zero ten <laughs> zero zero five yeah three five yeah. you know and then so when those 10 deals come you don't want to you know put all your money into three of them and then uh and then have to say no to seven deals no no like right you you want to be able to gobble up those deals whenever they come are you doing anything creative with the acquisition in dispo with financing, novations, joint venture deals with the sellers. So we we yeah. actually just you know when the deal started you know getting slower over the past the past twelve months we started venturing into novations, and which they've they've been great. I mean honestly for for most wholesale deals going forward, I, I would like to position as many as possible as uh, novations because I I just think we're going to be able to sell them for. Oh my gosh, ten or twenty thousand more if yeah. we can list them. Have you done any novations to date successfully? Uh, we did. We've done three, and the and the one was like a package deal. Got it. Um, that was like seven seven properties. Beautiful. Yeah, that's yeah. that's sweet. What were some of the hiccups you guys experienced with doing innovations? Because I know it's a little hairy. You got yep. the buy side, the sell side, you're pulling out, like you got a bunch of different things to manage. What have you guys experienced in the, with issues with innovations? So I would say we, we have spent um, a lot of times, uh, the, a lot of time hmm. focusing on how we present it to the seller. So the seller understands, hey, you're, you're going to need to sell there are, you're going to need to sign some more documents and it's not going to be with us. It's going to be with a, with an end buyer. So we've had to kind of work through that. And then as far as getting it listed and then explaining it to the, to the buyer and stuff, you know, it's, it's kind of the same thing. We just had to be really upfront and just explain to them. 
Yeah, yeah, because I mean, if you if if you don't if the seller doesn't understand that like, hey, I'm gonna need to sign something else that's gonna be a higher price than what you you gave me, and they're they're gonna be white like, what the heck? Like, I think you can run into some problems. Yeah, transparency is the best way to do it. Let them know what's going on and just uh, <laughs> just make the deals happen. When you try to uh, cover up what the truth is, it's gonna bite in the ass. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're when we. When when we get it under contract, we we tell them, hey, like, you know, we're gonna try to make money on this, right? Like, like it has to be said up front, like we're not doing this for charity. So, yeah. you know, we're, we're we're here to help you, but we're we're trying we're trying to get paid, you know. So it's a good process. It's a good way to do it. Tell me about um, you mentioned earlier about the partnership with your contractor. What's the structure look like with that? Yeah, so it's a it's it's a pretty cool structure. We uh, he was my contractor, you know, when I was just doing this solo. Um, he was uh, my contractor on a couple of my deals, um, probably about five years ago now. And he is my age. He's ambitious. Uh, he's trustworthy. He's got integrity. And uh, so we he, he basically he was telling me that he he wanted to build a port portfolio as well. So we eventually decided, hey, why don't we just go in 50-50? I'll find the deals, I'll find the financing, and then he property manages and takes care of the uh, construction. Sure. So the the way we did, did it is we each put in, I think we each put in 100K. Um, so that's how we started. And then we said, all right, we're, we're going to make 50-50, you know, what we you know, whatever we put in, we're going to make 50, 50 out. Then we also said, okay, Kyle's performing, uh, services for the business. And my partner is also performing services. So we, we kind of spelled out that I would make a fee on each deal that I find. So that's kind of like me wholesaling it to my, to my other business. And then likewise, he makes a property management fee. And then he also makes a construction fee. So he charges the company for labor and materials. Um, but then once we either refi or sell that property, he's going to make an extra fee on top of that. So we're kind of paying ourselves a, it's not, it's not really a salary, but we're kind of paying ourselves for our, for our work. So yeah, it's, it's, you, it's one of the things that I, I think has helped us to do really well together because, you know, neither one of us feels like we're getting shafted, you know? Yeah. When you did the wholesale fee, is it, how did you determine, is it a sliding scale? Is it a flat fee for every deal? What does that look like? I started out doing a flat fee. And then um, when my marketing costs started going up, then I just had a discussion with my partner and I said, Hey, we're going to have to raise this. Smart. And how do you know on your end, with him being the contractor, how do you know he's charging you a fair price? That's agreed upon upfront. Uh, he's charging me for just labor and uh, materials. Which so, is the whole job. what's that? Which is the whole job. I mean, you're only going to charge for labor and materials. So correct. Uh, he, yeah, he doesn't make like a like a like a markup on 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 that. Oh, so he's so he's not making money on that. Then it's a pass through. He doesn't make money until he gets paid his construction fee. At the end when you refi. At the end, correct. Yeah, that's that's a great partnership, dude. Yeah. Yeah, that's smooth. And it's working out good for you. 
Yeah, I mean, it's been going great. I mean, we've been going pretty strong for about, I think it's four years now. How did you structure the the corporation? You guys own your shares individually? Or do you have your own LLCs own shares of the corporation? Oh man, that's a good question. We have one LLC, and then we're fifty fifty partners. Individually in that LLC. Yes. Yeah. Good. You guys married? Are are am I married to him? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, you guys have spouses. <laughs> Let me rephrase yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Good man. This is this is good, Kyle. What what could you share some of the listeners who are going through they're trying to go through the growth phase, right? They went from, you know, a solopreneur, they now have two, three people. What would you say they need to focus on, pay attention to as they're starting to go from starting to growing and then eventually to scaling? Yeah. What are some of the things that you can share with them? I think one of the things that I did prior to scaling, and I, I probably could have done a, a better job is I, I think you <clears throat> mentioned it is just creating a, a dashboard for what you're spending your money on. So like talking about uh, marketing, you know, which I, I, I've been doing that, you know, pretty religiously for a couple years now. But I, I think that when you first get started out, you, you need that dashboard and then you need to know which buttons to push and which levers to pull. So like, you know, for example, if direct mail is working really well and cold calling isn't, then you probably need to stop cold calling or or just not grow cold calling and then scale up direct mail. And you and need if, to know this pretty quickly. Like you have to have your finger on the pulse yeah. almost as it's happening because it can get away from you. It can get out of control. So there's, there's lag indicators, which is going to be the revenue coming in. And then there's early indicators, which in this case, if you're doing marketing would be the responses that you're getting and then yes. how those responses leads are converting over to appointments. Yep. How many appointments that are converting over to contracts? The contract is going to be your key indicator if this thing is making money or not. Correct. We've had marketing campaigns in the past, Kyle, where holy shit, we're driving in a ton of leads, but very few of those leads were converting over to appointments because they were so, garbage. garbage. Yeah. And then those appointments weren't really converting into in the contract. So although the cost per lead was extremely attractive, if we just base it on cost per lead, we would have dumped more money in, but we realized it was actually a loser. It was not making us money at all. It was right. the worst performing income generator, but it was the best performing cost per lead <laughs> generator. Right. And so you really need to look at your data and your dash and really hone in on your numbers and really keep your finger on the pulse. Uh, because if not, you're going to be pissing money in the wind and, yep. and marketing is expensive. Yeah, I can, I can tell you in my market, cold calling is our low cost per lead. But it also is our lowest um, converter. Lowest, uh, yeah, converter. Yeah. So lowest converter, which has you have, it's probably the highest cost. It's lowest cost per lead, highest cost per contract. Yeah, direct mail. Last year we absolutely crushed it with um, direct mail. I think our conversion rate, you know, conversion rate overall was like ten or fifteen percent, or that's great, something like that. Yeah, it was, it was nuts. It was like, okay, we're only getting, you know, whatever. 10, 15, 20 leads from direct mail, but we know we're going to convert, you know, 10% of those. That's, yeah. that's really good. Yeah. Well, if the gross leads, that's, that's actually really good. What is your target market, your niche? Who are you going after with the direct mail? So last year we focused almost primarily on absentee. So what I found in our market, you know, we are in a, in a, a smaller market. If we targeted those smaller lists, 
So pre-foreclosures, tax delinquent, probate. You'd have like 20 people on the list. There's like, (laughs) yeah, there's like 20 people on the list and they're so small. It's so easy for all the competitors to pepper those lists as well. Yeah. So these people are like, you know, they're just going through this stack of, you know, the stack of mail and they're calling like every single one. So we were doing absentee and then we also specifically target multifamily. Those two are, are, have been really good for us partially because if it's, there's a, there's some overlap as well. It might be categorized in public records as single family, but it's actually a four unit. And those are awesome, you know, because we'll still catch it on the absentee list. And then I'm like the only person who contacted this person because, you know, they're just, they're, they're absentee, but they don't show up on like a high equity or something like that. Yep. Are you, are you doing any overlays, any list stacking? Uh, Not, not yet. Not yet. So that might be one of the things you want to consider, like all those small micro niche lists that you have and you said everybody's killing them. If you start stacking all those lists, you'll start to see like, all right, this particular person, there might be 50 super highly targeted people in your area that have three indicators or more, you know, a foreclosure, a probate, fire damage, something to that effect. And if you hone in on those 50, I would go like all in on those 50. I'd have door numbers going out there direct mail, text blasting the shit out of them because you're going to get, those are the 50 that they have the highest probability of selling and selling for cash because they have so many overlays on the property. Right. Yep. Yeah. Good stuff. This is good, Kyle. You're an interesting young cat making <laughs> shit happen in Hershey, Pennsylvania. How do, how do people find you online, bro? Uh, yeah. So I, I do have a website. It's called Real Life Rentals. And then I'm on Twitter as well at real life rentals. So you're, you're a tweeter. Um, you tweet a lot. I tweet sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, uh, website is, is pretty cool for people to, to kind of keep in touch. I send out a monthly email. So like I said, you know, I'm a engineer. I like my spreadsheets. I started kind of putting up some screenshots of my spreadsheets onto my website about five or six years ago. And so I, I basically just, I, I, kind of lay it all out there and I say, Hey, here's the portfolio as it stands. Here's my, here's my cash flow, and you know, all the, all the metrics that you would, you would want to see. So I, I started tracking it for my wife cause she was the first person that I had to sell on, on real estate. But, uh, but yeah, so then it's, then it started to be, uh, you know, family and friends would ask me about it and I, I started posting it on the website. So, and that's the, that's that's one of the things, honestly, that helps me keep in touch with private lenders, you know, so people see me put out these these numbers every single month and they see that I'm doing well. And then and then they start to think, well, geez, like Kyle seems like he he's a pretty safe bet, you know, to lend some 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 money. So. Love so, yeah, that's that's one of the things that I that I use it for. But and just a, it's just a good uh, networking tool. Kyle, I love it. You're an interesting dude. Appreciate your time today, brother. Thank you so much for coming on. You're my first podcast in uh, in five weeks. I've been on a five-week hiatus. It has been a great five weeks, but I'm ready to <laughs> get back in the saddle and start kicking ass again back here in the, in the East Coast. Thanks, awesome. for, thanks for coming in today, bro. Good thanks meeting. for having me. Yep. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Unstoppable Real Estate Investing Wealth. My mission 
is to give you, my listeners, the blueprint to success, the insider secrets for starting, growing, and scaling your real estate investing business so you can experience and live the unstoppable lifestyle. I've made it simple for you. To catapult yourself to success, go to billyssecrets.com. That's B-I-L-L-Y-S secrets.com. There you will find every single tool, tip, trick, strategy, system, and secret used to make millions of dollars as a real estate investor. Everything my team uses and my guests use all in one place for you to tap into so you can start, grow, and scale your real estate investing business. I really hope you implement what you're learning. I hope you utilize these tools, tips, tricks, strategies, and secrets, and I hope to see you on the next episode. God bless. Bye-bye.